Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Marcel Van Nico. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Good morning. That was a warm welcome. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks just for each person. Thanks to you for contributing just to a moment time, a, a wonderful moment in God's presence. That was absolutely amazing. Just being able to, to soak in who God is and what He desires for us. That is so so amazing. Um, I'm just gonna just take or use a few sentences just for them to be able to adjust my voice and everything, and for you to get used to the strange, beautiful accent. Um, <laughs> Did I ever tell you that it was voted the second most sexy accent in the world? I dare you to go Google that. Um, it is facts. We were beaten by the Aussie, uh, not the Aussies, New Zealand. Um, and South Africans and um, New Zealanders are always at rival with one another, so it's a bit of a shame. Um, but it's good to be here this morning. I don't want to waste time. I want to get into the good parts, the reason why we're here this morning. You're not here to hear jokes or silly things. So, Father God, as I have this wonderful opportunity of sharing with this family and this group of um, people that are so dear to you and to us as a church, I pray that my thoughts will align with your spirit, that my ears will incline to be led by your spirit and I submit fully to you. I pray that as we open this word, as we dive into the content of what you've just shared on my heart this morning, I pray that, Lord God, you, there will be less of me and more of you. So Father God, let your spirit come and just awaken these words and give it life. Um, let revelation be stirred in this place and I pray that Father God, we will move from glory to glory and understanding who you are and Father God, what it is you wanna see us achieve in this world and we pray that in your name, amen, amen. I remember going to first grade in 94. Yes, you heard correctly, I'm old, 94. I went to um, first grade, and I could remember back in those days, it's probably the same for some of you over here today, um, you would be dropped off at school, and the only contact you would have usually with your mom or dad would be that afternoon again when they pick you up. Remember, I'm from South Africa, we didn't have yellow school buses. We had parents that still, they drop you off and they collect you. In those days, we still walked to school, and sometimes you had to walk back, but the thing is, if you had trouble, you had to wait for your mama to come pick you up the afternoon. I know that if you wanted the school to contact your mom, you literally had to have a fever that was somewhere 100 and something, and you had to make sure that you are threatening the receptionist that you're gonna spew over her desk. And then she'll consider picking up the only phone that there is to contact 10,000 parents to say your child needs you. That was the day before cell phones and smart devices and all those things. And I actually recall a few years later, 1998, I attended a sports event in a big stadium and I caught this ball that they chucked into the crowd and I won a cell phone starter pack. <laughs> This is 1998. I can remember I went to go collect my prize. I walked back and the crowd around me was gathering. They forgot about the game going on because for some of these people, they'd never seen a phone before. That was how new it was. 
And here I was, a 12, 11-year-old boy with a cell phone, and I could recall standing there, I'm like, what am I going to be doing with this? Two days later, I sold it. Yeah, that is who I am, a little entrepreneur. I always made money off things. And I sold it because I, I was just didn't understand what the use of it is, and it was only... Um, it was only five years later that I actually bought my first cell phone, Nokia 5110. No, what do you guys call it? Nokia. Yeah, Nokia, sorry. Nokia 5110, God's gift to mankind. You could drop that thing off a plane and it would survive. Um, it, it, its battery lasted for weeks. It was just amazing. And I had one of those. But the truth is so many times we're given a tool but we discard it because we don't understand its use. It's so true, isn't it? And to me, sometimes it's still insane to think that we're in 2020, and we still have believers within the church that doesn't know what to do with the gift of the Spirit. And still, even though it's 2020, we, when it comes to this topic, we still have, it still divides believers and Christians. To this day, this very topic, and if you start talking about these things, you can still split a church in two. There's even the slight possibility that today, if I speak about any of these things, that there may be individuals in this church that will not return next week. Unfortunately, that's the truth. Strangely enough, we can preach our hearts out, and I don't say this in a shaming way, I equally value the gifts, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit, but we can preach about that all day long. We can actually, we can uh, dedicate a Sunday to each one of those fruit and we'll keep you busy for three months and most of the times I will walk out of here and probably get good approval from the people. Oh, I love talking about this because it's nice and silent. In Matthew 3 verse 13 to 17, Jesus is baptized and it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit wasn't a dove, it was just, it was compared to like a dove. And it's interesting, I've never seen a dove fly around with one wing. From the little biology that I um, did take in school, my avian anatomy um, taught me that birds need two wings to fly. And from what I know, a dove has got nine main feathers on each of its wings. I grew up in a family, we had a lot of birds and parrots and things, we hand-raised them. If we sold hand-reared birds, we would clip their main feathers and we know that impairs their flight. So, it's interesting, we still pluck the feathers of the Holy Spirit in the body of, in, in, in church. And the thing is, we do this because we don't understand the gifts of the Spirit. We might understand the fruit of the Spirit. And please hear me when I say I have high regard and both are equally important because the one builds the character, the vessel that carries the anointing. If you just have the anointing but you lack the character, you're gonna be wishy-washy and I am not sure even if I wanna be around you. But if you have the, the, the fruit of the Spirit that forms and shapes and molds your character, and then God can pour out the gifts which is anointing, if those two work together, the Holy Spirit takes flight in our midst. But one of the first feathers that the church loves to pluck is called prophecy. And I get why we do this. I really understand. Remember, I was born in 1986. 
I, I know what the, I have a good reference of the 80s and the 90s and the early 20, um, 2000s. We, I understand why we do this because we grew up in a time where the prophetic in the church was weird. We grew up in a time where there couldn't be silent moments in a church without some person getting up and starting with, thus saith the Lord. And then better yet, a lot of times these people were like these floaters that would just go between churches, not submit to any form of leadership or authority, and then they walk into churches and they bring words of judgment and they say things and everybody's standing there. And I could remember being a young kid, when I heard there was a prophet in church, I was like, I am not going. I was so scared that God would reveal to him the things that I do that I don't want anyone to know, and then he's gonna stand in front of the church and say, is there a Marcel in this place? I get it, why? And I fully agree with you. The thing is, the list goes on because we've seen the manipulation, we've seen the shame that goes along with how this has been abused. And I get that and I fully agree with you. But what we have experienced in so many places is a total violation of the New Testament context for prophecy. Starting in Genesis, we have basically this dark disorder and mass, and God comes and he, he speaks into it. And what he does is he creates, as he utters and he voices, he creates a place where fellowship and union can take place. We all know that then Adam and Eve, they mess this fellowship and union up. They mess it up. They disturb it. But then God prophetically speaks to Eve and she, he tells Eve that from you will come a deliverer that will restore again this fellowship and unity, and it's referring to Christ. But we see as we go on to Exodus 20 verse 19, the Israelites grow so distant from God in their fellowship with them and their union with him that they're at a point where they say, we do not wanna hear his voice. Rather choose someone that will hear his voice on our behalf. And what does God say? He says, let me raise up prophets, and Moses rises up. And Moses becomes the, the prophet who hears from God and then communicates to the people. And we see how this becomes the, the model from which Moses rules the Israelites by revealing God's moral laws through the law so that the Israelites could have some sort of relationship with God because they didn't want it personally. They rejected it. And through the prophets came the words that the Israelites had to follow And we know that if they didn't follow it, they would suffer punishment and there would be death. So up to the point where Jesus arrives, where Jesus comes onto the scene, we see that the law of the prophets was the most important degree the Israelites had because they didn't have the indwelling spirit alive on the inside of them. I'm going to go a little bit slow because you need to follow me on this. So they, they had no way to be personally connected because they rejected that opportunity. They don't have the indwelling spirit, which means on the inside, they're not burning and alive for relationship with God. The only thing that can keep a kind of a tether of relationship is upholding the law and sticking to it. And then through this process, process the Israelites have to learn that obedience brings life and disobedience brings death. 
And as we move on, I'm creating a historical context for the spirit of prophecy. And I'm going to go very quick over this section. We see different types of prophecy within the word of God. One of the first is a messianic prophecy. In the Bible, there's more than 191 verses that related to Jesus, which were directly fulfilled by his life, his death, and his resurrection. We also say that another important form of prophecy was law establishment and, abi um, and abiding prophecy. And through this prophecy, God was demanding obedience. You find it throughout the Old Testament. Interesting enough, it's not present in the New Testament. Going on, you see prophecies of purpose and potential. And what was the, the, the use of these prophecies of potential and purpose? It was reminding people that, that God wanted to be interwoven into their being and that God wanted to be present in their moment. And this we find in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Moving on, you find prophecy that was all about building the church, helping the gathering of the believers to be able to host the presence of God and to do it better. I'm nearly done. Um, another type of prophecy was prophecy about future preparedness. And this would help the people to um, basically prepare their faith and their resources to deal with things that would come up so that they come out the other end stronger. The last one was um, words of prophetic words that are words of connection. And what they did is they help you connect more with God, and they actually reveal to us that God is actively pursuing us. If you forget all six of those types, it's 100% fine. There's some that might find that interesting. But what we need to know that there's a big difference between prophecy in the Old Testament and prophecy in the New Testament. The one of the important things we need to understand is that in the New Testament, we no longer have messianic prophecy. We need to understand this, and I'm now going to pull on that holy cow's udder that the South African always refers to. I'm going to pull on that udder. There's no longer messianic prophecy because Jesus has already been promised. And predictive prophecy of, of, about Jesus' return will always fail because we were never supposed to try and figure out the day Jesus returns. We are supposed to be looking for what Jesus wants to do in the now until he returns. We're going to get to this part a bit later. And another important thing is that we also don't have prophecy any longer that's about abiding to the law and enforcing the law and bringing judgment. I want to say this nice and clear. We don't have prophecy in the New Testament context, context that brings judgment and that's all about abiding to the law. The reason for this is because in John 16 verse 8, it very clearly states, the Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction of sin and judgment. So, the Holy Spirit, it is His job now to convict us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring judgment in our lives, not a prophet's job. I want to say that very clearly. It is not a prophet, an individual's job to bring judgment and conviction of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And we need to understand that very clearly. Let's move on. 
So moving into this New Testament spirit of prophecy, we need to understand that our focus then should be on prophecy that is calling forth people's purpose and their potential. We should be focusing on prophecy that builds and edifies and strengthens the body as a whole so that we are better at hosting the presence of God. And we need to focus on prophecy that is connecting hearts with the God that is pursuing after them. And when we focus on these three types of prophecy, we will naturally start a lifestyle where we thrive in the now until Jesus comes. Instead of just being a bunch of spiritual couch potatoes who are scourging the internet looking for signs about when Jesus is going to return. And all we do is we get critical about what's going on around us and we're actually doing spiritually nothing. But we're pointing fingers and, oh, we build up a whole bunch of knowledge up here. But we're heavenly good, but earthly no good. And we need to understand that. In the Old Testament, the people said, raise up a prophet because surely we will die if we hear his voice. But Jesus comes and he says, I will die so that each one of you can hear his voice. And you will not die. And we, hear me, hear, we are no longer limited by a priesthood and a prophet leading the way. Because we are now given the Holy Spirit, personally, each one of us, to lead us. That doesn't mean that a leadership cannot be a role in it. But I want to encourage you, if the Holy Spirit is not personally leading you, you are missing out on the most important thing that Jesus has given you, the opportunity to personally encounter the Holy Spirit and hear the voice of God. Oh, it's so quiet in this place, but it's good, it's good. We're gonna keep on going. And therefore, because the Holy Spirit is now given to each person, this is the awesome great news. He does the conviction of sin. He brings the judgment, and it's no longer a prophet that needs to do that. And we have bad experiences about prophecy because we've been exposed to an Old Testament paradigm of prophecy when, while we're actually in a New Testament era. And this has happened because we've received judgmental words. We've heard all those things. This church is this, this, and this. This person, this, this, and this. And it's judgment, judgment, judgment. And it goes on. And we see a religious form of prophecy. The fact of the matter is this is the misuse of the prophetic gifting. And it is a bad mark on what the spirit of prophecy is in the New Testament. We need to understand that New Testament prophecy is not part only of certain people's, I want to find the right word, um, there's a specific identity. It's everyone's identity. Why? Because each person sitting over here, you were created to hear God's voice. And I'll, and I'll explain now how that um, links to prophecy. And the fact is that we were created to hear God. If you struggle to hear God's voice, don't struggle with lies and all those type of things. Just believe the truth. You were created to do it. Stop driving out demons and doing all. Just realize you were created to do it. So just get busy with it. Get quiet. Have prayer that listens. Wait on God. It's our inheritance, and why is prophecy our inheritance? I'm gonna to go to um, Revelation 19. I think this is the first time I've ever preached from Revelations. 
uh, or the book of Revelation, sorry. I usually don't go there. But in Revelation, John walks us through this beautiful journey of revelation he receives. And in Revelation 1, he encounters the fullness and the beauty of Christ. And what makes this beautiful is that um, we all thought that if you see the face of God, you're going to die. Because that's what the Old Testament, the Israelites believed. But here John comes and he sees God and he breaks. He sees the manifestation of Christ and who he is, the fullness of Christ. And he does not die. He breaks the pattern. And why is it important for me to mention that? Because yes, he is overwhelmed by the glory of what he sees. But Jesus touches him. And when Jesus touches um, John in, uh, in Revelation 1, chapter 1, he receives strength to stand in the presence of God. And what this is doing is it teaches us that Jesus wants us to see him the way he wants to be seen. There's nothing standing in the way. And when you start moving on to Revelation um, 19, verse 7 to 10, which I'm going to be reading for us. I'm going to quickly read this. Um, take a moment to hear this out. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the angel leads John into a moment and he meets a new person. Who is this new person that John is meeting? It is the bride dressed in white. And the, the bride is in this act of worship. The bride is in this beautiful, righteous robe before God, before Jesus. And what we need to understand is that the bride is the culmination of believers finding their true identity in God. The bride is, uh, is believers coming to a place of companionship with Jesus, trusting Jesus. The, the bride is truly the inheritance of Jesus. And then the angel instructs John and he says, write down everything you see. And John is kind of hesitant. He's like, I'm not worthy to do this. But the angel says, write it down. And you see, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus in the New Testament. And Jesus' heart testifies of the bride. I'm gonna say this again. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And Jesus' heart testifies about his inheritance, which is the bride he is waiting for. And we are called to see humanity after these eyes that Jesus has. We are not called to see humanity for what she is not. We are called to see humanity for what she's been called and destined for. We are called to see the bride as Jesus' inheritance. Now, 
Revelation um, 19 reminds us that we, each one of us over here, we're the inheritance of Christ. And what we need to understand is though we're not there yet, uh, let's be clear, the reality is we are not there yet. The, the bride of Christ is still in formation, is still being perfected. We are not there yet. But we must learn to see humanity for what she has been called, to become the bride of Christ. And we must learn to minister to people from the identity they have in God. That God, God, resti- sorry, that God desires to restore them so that he can call them the bride of his son, Christ. So how does this change our view of prophecy? You see, in the Old Testament, we had a few mouthpieces, a few prophets that were speaking the law. But now, um, in the New Testament, the Spirit of God comes, up, comes upon all people, especially we read this in Acts chapter 2. And in the Old Testament, there are more than 45 times where we read that the Holy Spirit came upon the prophets and then they spoke. It's very important here, this terminology. The Holy Spirit came upon the prophets. But in the New Testament, the disciples experienced the life of Jesus where the Holy Spirit is alive on the inside and doesn't just come upon and leave. And there's a big difference Again, Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come, inspire, people talk, they hear the prophets, it leaves. But Jesus opens the way that all may receive the alive, awakening spirit on the inside that doesn't just come upon and then leave, but it is with us. We activate it, and once it starts, we can keep it going. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit rushes in and the people start speaking in tongues. Now I'm getting to a really, (laughs) getting to good parts. But I'm going to do this confidently. We're going to go there. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down on all people and they start speaking in tongues. The good thing is over here that many people we confuse. There's so much confusion about this. This is not the same tongues as we read of in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is teaching the people about the gift of tongues. Please, I promise you that's the truth. The words for tongues in Acts 2 is a different word for the, used for the tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. And in Acts 2, the people are speaking in different, different languages and multiple languages after the outpouring. And what is actually happening, if you read, I'm going to quickly just go um, find Acts, sorry. Just give me a moment. I should have paged there earlier. I'm nearly there. Okay, I'm reading Acts 2, and I'm going to read verse 11. It says the following. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So what were they doing? They were speaking multiple languages and they were declaring and prophesying the wonders and the glory of God in tongues that different people were understanding from different nations. And in the Old Testament, now this is very, very, lots of people don't make this connection. You remember in the Old Testament, we have the story of Babel. 
or do you call it babble? I'm not sure what you call it. But the people ended up babbling, that I can tell you. We get this picture where the people try and ascend to God to enter into God's heavenly realm, but they try and do it through their own plan. And what does God come do? He comes down and he gives the people different languages and he disperses them into different nations. And he says, that's not the way it's going to happen. But in the New Testament, Acts 2, God comes and he restores what was done at the tower in the Old Testament. Because what happens is he's pouring out the Holy Spirit. And now, because of Jesus, everyone has free access to it. And the Holy Spirit becomes alive, indwelling, not coming upon and leaving, alive on the inside, indwelling in all these people. So instead of the people trying to ascend into the realm of God, God says, let me descend from the heavens into the hearts of the people. Oh Lord, I pray that this word this morning descends into the hearts of us, of us over here. And therefore, the main evidence of the Spirit the indwelling of the Spirit in our lives is not speaking in tongues. It is not. I'm going to say that again. If you grew up with that theology, revisit it. The main evidence of us receiving the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues. The main evidences of us receiving the Spirit is when we start prophesying and talking the great wonders of God to the world around us. Let's go further. And this, this is the spirit of prophecy that we see in Revelations 19 verse 10. You see, it is the spirit working through, through us and that, um, that it's the spirit that is working through us that reminds us what humanity has been called to. How this works is that the spirit of prophecy as we read of in Revelations 19 verse 10 works this way, that we look at the humanity around us in its broken form, and even though she is not yet what she's supposed to be, which is the bride of Christ, but even though we see the brokenness because of the spirit that is living and active on the inside of us, we at the place where we can say, God, I see the brokenness, but tell me now what your heart is for the brokenness. And we see the lacking, and we see the shortcoming, and we see the sinner. But we don't stop there and just utter what we see. We go into the next part, which is the Holy Spirit becoming alive in us, and we say, God, I can see the shortcoming. But the true spirit of prophecy is going into the next step where I engage with God and say, God, what is your heart about that which I see? Do you know why there's so much criticism in the church? So much pointing of fingers because we stopped at what we see. We never got to the part where we say, okay, let me take a moment and ask God what his heart is about that which I see. If you move on a bit further in Acts um, chapter 2 from verse 14, I don't have time to read all of this. Peter, the Spirit, 
gives him bold faith. He stands up and he starts talking and preaching. But he realizes that he needs to bring some clarity on what is going on because people have questions. It's a bit crazy. I wonder how crazy it would be in here if tongues of fire ascend, um, descend on people and people start talking in languages that they never spoke before, how crazy it would get. I would probably run and then realize, why am I running? And then I'll run back. <laughs> but so what Peter does is he starts talking, and what he does is he's, he's, he wants the people to understand that these, these people that are talking in these different languages and things, they're not drunk, they're not silly, they're not stupid. And the way he explains what's going on, he reminds them of what the prophet Joel said so that they can understand what is taking place. And in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream um, dreams. Even on the servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what, what Peter is doing is he's helping the people understand that this is what the prophet Joel, this is exactly what he prophesied. What he prophesied is that the Spirit will come on all people, and when that happens, the people will be able to connect with what God's thoughts are. And they'll be able to hear what God says, and then they will speak what he says, because that's exactly what prophecy is. And the cool thing is that we now all have access not only to hear God, but to prophesy what He says. And we're given that so that we can transform the world around us. In 1998, I sold a cell phone starter kit because I didn't understand what the purpose of it was. I didn't think that it had any use so I sold it. And never at that point did I ever think that it will become a smart device that brings connection all over. Back in 1998, I surely didn't know that one day my wife and my son and I will be in the States with our family and friends, being stu uh, not stuck, being in South Africa on a different continent and with the ocean being between us and that something as simple as a smart device will allow connection. The Spirit also has got smart technology. And the smart technology that we have in the spirit is called, um, that we have in this realm is the spirit of God that's given to each one of you and the gift of prophecy. And what it's doing, it's bringing connection, not of judgment and making people feel shameful and bad. It's bringing connection between people that don't see and understand that there's a God that's pursuing them and loving them. And it's, the cool thing, it's not just a one-time connection that arrives and then it goes away again. It's an ongoing connection that we're given. Do we realize that at this very moment there are more than 7 billion parts of God's heart all around this globe? 
God didn't make, create us to be isolated and to be alone, to be disconnected, to be in a place where we don't care about other nations and other tongues and things. He, he, there's, there's seven billion parts, expressions of God's love all across this globe right now. And he's saying, though it feels impossible, I've given you a tool to create connection between you. And that is the Spirit of God becoming alive in us. And the thing that we need to realize is that, that prophecy is not reserved just for one person. If you at all believe that, that oh, I, I, don't, I can't do that because only that person and that person can, then you have it wrong. It's not reserved for one person. Prophecy was never intended to separate people the way it has. Prophecy was never intended to divide people um, the way it has been doing it. What it was intended to do was to lead people to the love of God. And I'm going to bring these loose ends together right now. So, what am I trying to tell you today about the spirit of prophecy? I want to quickly mention this one thing. Are there different levels of, um, of prophecy? Are there different depths of prophecy? Are there people that, were, that, that functions in higher authority of prophecy? Yes, there is. It's because they dedicate a life where they train themselves in it, and the more they do it, they're growing in that gifting that they're carrying. And not everyone operates on the same level. That we need to understand. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said, okay, let's stop this thing of one person hearing from God for everyone. Let's change that. And let's now invite each person to be able to connect with God, to receive the Spirit, to become alive on the inside. You have received that. Now you need to start listening to what God is saying. And how the, the spirit of prophecy takes shape in our lives is this way. That when you look and observe at the things around you, when you see the brokenness, it doesn't end at what you see. You start engaging and asking God, God, okay, so what is your heart for the brokenness I see? So instead of just saying, oh, this group of people will not achieve anything because their hearts are hardened and they are religious in their mindsets and they don't want to move forward with God. Instead of just stating what I'm seeing with my eyes, I observe that and I step into the next level and I say, God, now show me what you see for these very people. Oh, I see a group of people that I want to reveal my love to. But they don't know that they are invited. So why don't you, as you deal with them, remind them that they are invited to come near to me because I'm pursuing them passionately. I get that you're scared of prophecy because of all, sorry that I'm going to use this word, but I'm going to use it. All the crap that we've done. I'm so sorry for saying that, but that's the itch, the burning thing. That's the truth of what we've witnessed. That is not prophecy, what prophecy is. It's you starting to engage with the world around you, observing what's going on, and then saying, God, now speak to me. Tell me what I need to say, what I need to do, how I can be an answer to it. Do you understand? It's not that scary, it's not that weird. 
And each one of you over here has been called to do it. So next time when your child is out there and your child is throwing a horrible tantrum and you're thinking, Lord, what are we going to do with this kid's, with these, this kid's, um, with his, um, now I'm lost for words. What I'm going to do with this kid's attitude and his behavior. Instead of just climbing into what you're saying and reaffirming what you see in the flesh, you're going to stand back and say, God, what is your heart? And you're going to start dealing with your son or your daughter from a place of God's heart, not with what reality tells you. And when you don't agree with a politician or you don't agree with another Christian that believes something that's a bit different from you, you're not going to push them away. You're not going to criticize them because it's fine if they don't agree with you. You're going to say, God, show me the way you see them and teach me to at least understand because I don't have to think the way they do. I don't have to align with what they believe, but at least you can help me to understand where they come from. So instead of pushing the Republican away, I'm getting there, yes I am. Instead of pushing the liberal away, instead of pushing the pro-abortionist away, instead of pushing the pro-life person away, I'm saying, God, I realize something is going on here, but I will not allow the reality to limit my response towards them. I'm going to say, God, less of me and more of you. So I forget who I am. I forget what offends me. And I'm going to say, God, tell me what you think. So I can't sit down with the gay. I can't sit down with the pro-abortionist and have a decent conversation with them. You know what? I can even love them. Why? Because I don't see that. I see the bride of Christ in formation. And you know what I'm continuing to do? I don't stop there. I speak and I call forth that life. It may be hindered with the things of this world and the patterns and the, the ill things of this world, but I still call it forth. I call it forth. And at the same time, I say, Jesus, humbly, I come before you. And I know that there are things in my own life where I am probably operating exactly the same way, but just in a different area. So before even someone else has to come and, and call out the bride in me, let your spirit come and convict me. Guys, that's the spirit of prophecy. It's not as scary. So I beg you that if we start talking about prophecy, if we see it happening over here, we all have that spirit. We've all been called to it. And yes, there's a flesh part. And sometimes we're going to add little fleshy things into what God's saying. But it's fine. We mature. We're going to have the ability to discern and just realize, okay, that probably wasn't part of what God said, but it's fine. We hear what God is saying, what the main message is. And we're not going to freak out. We're not going to throw our toys out of the cot. We're going to have maturity. And we're going to say, I'm no longer scared of this. I'm no longer frightened by this. I'm no longer offended by this. And I'm going to realize, hey, you know what I appreciate by, about this person that stood up and prophesied, even though he got it a bit wrong, he was willing to take the risk. And he now has opportunity to grow. So, because we are alive and a wow in God, we have, we, God's dimension become, becomes our part of our dimension because of the spirit that is alive in us. 
So that means each person over here, you can discern. It means you can walk into, dis- in, into situations and you can feel what is God and what's not God. That's the spirit alive in you. If you were against these things and you thought, oh, this isn't true, it's probably happening without you even knowing it. So because we have the spirit alive in us, we all have discernment. We're all walking around and realizing, okay, there's a half truth. That is a full truth. This is demonic. This is, but God says, I don't want you to stop with, at what you discern. I want you to go past what you discern. And that part is where it becomes engaging, building relationship with God, because now I ask God, talk to me about what I discern. I think I've challenged myself and each person over here enough for today. This is a scary topic. I think at some time it would be awesome to even talk about tongues. I'm talking about the gift of tongues. Because I, 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 I'm sure it's, it's sensitive, difficult things for some people. We need to start talking about all these things, but in a way like this where we can admit what we've done wrong but we can also understand and commit our hearts to the true truth of what God is inspiring and gifting us with. Father God, this morning I just come before you and I just thank you for this opportunity. Um, <clears throat> Lord, there's a, there may be a chance that I threw stuff in here today because this excites me so much that's just flesh. If I did that, Lord, just give each person over here mature discernment just to pull it out and let them have the good meat and spit out the bones. And Father God, that is really my prayer as the person who brought the word this morning. Father God, thank you that you bless us, that you keep us, and Lord, that you continue, us to, and continue to encourage us to humbly pursue after you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.